If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. The Roswell Incident. What really happened? In July of 1947, a ranch foreman named Mac Brazel noticed an odd debris field scattered over the Foster Ranch, which was located approximately 30 miles from Roswell, New Mexico. Brazel reported the wreckage to Roswell Sheriff George Wilcox, who then contacted the Roswell Army Airfield, also known as the RAAF. Intelligence Officer Major Jesse Marcel and two others visited and inspected the crash site. They transported much of the debris back to Roswell. Shortly after Marcel and the others returned with the debris, a RAAF public information officer issued a press release stating that they had recovered a flying disc. The release was reported by numerous news outlets, including the Roswell Daily Record. The following day, a press conference was held, and the Army officially recanted that story and insisted that the recovered debris was that of a downed high-altitude weather balloon. Most people accepted the official government version of the story, and the report of the recovered flying disc quietly faded away. In 1978, intelligence officer Major Jesse Marcel, who visited the crash site and took part in the Army press conference, went on record stating that the weather balloon story was a cover-up and that the debris he recovered was, quote, not anything from this earth. Upon Major Marcel's statement, several other people came forward claiming that they too had information that proved the object in question was not a weather balloon, but was in fact an alien spacecraft. Many witnesses claimed that they actually saw alien bodies. Much mystery still surrounds the events that took place near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Countless people, including politicians, 
and even presidents, have demanded more information regarding the incident. But to this day, there still have not been satisfactory answers as to what exactly happened in the desert on that historic day. Until now. The following are leaked top-secret transcripts of interviews with several people who directly participated in the events surrounding the Roswell incident. The transcripts do not reveal who is conducting the interviews, and the names of those being interviewed has been omitted, but the transcripts have been deemed by experts to be authentic. Cleanup Crew Start of Interview Please state your name and your military position for the record. Uh, my name is and I'm a in the United States. What was your role in the Roswell incident? I was part of the cleanup crew sent to remove the debris from the site in question. How many were part of this cleanup crew? <laughs> a lot. Were you cleaning up remains from a weather balloon? Um, among other things. So the Army's story about the weather balloon was true? Uh, partially true, but extremely misleading. Can you tell us what kind of debris you were cleaning up that day? Uh, parts of a weather balloon, parts of a missile, and parts of a craft. Can you please elaborate? Well, the night before the debris was discovered, some people reported a loud crash. Well, that was a missile exploding on the Foster Ranch. It was a mistake. It was a test missile that was targeted for a military test site, but it went drastically off course and hit the Foster Ranch. A surveillance balloon was sent out to locate where the missile hit and to determine the damage. They were damn lucky that thing hit a desert ranch out in the middle of nowhere. Anyhow, those surveillance balloons were extremely experimental and didn't function well. They were partially motorized and could be controlled remotely. It, it did find the location that the missile struck, but before they could assess the damage, the balloon malfunctioned and crashed. Not an uncommon occurrence with those pieces of garbage. When the rancher contacted the sheriff and he in turn contacted the RAAF, they sent Major Marcel out there to evaluate the situation. He was the one who found it. Found what? Well, the craft. The alien spacecraft. Please go on. When the missile hit the ground and exploded, it created a large crater and uncovered this craft that had been buried under the ground. Please describe the craft. I, I didn't actually see it. I mean, they didn't let us near the crater. I was just there to clean up. But a buddy of mine who had higher clearance, he was able to get a quick look at it. What he saw was only partially uncovered. He just said it was very smooth and shiny. But I did handle pieces of the spacecraft. Elaborate. Well, as part of the cleanup crew, there were three different types of debris we were to collect and separate. There was balloon debris, missile debris, and some debris that belonged to the craft. I guess when the missile exploded, it damaged the craft some and some bits of it flew over the desert. So we had a section to put balloon bits in, 
and a section to put missile fragments in, and a guarded section to put parts of the craft in. And I, I did find one small part of the craft. Please describe it. It was an even square. I'd say about six inches by six inches. The best way I could describe it is it was a lot like aluminum foil. It was thin, weightless, but very smooth. And you could fold it and squeeze it like aluminum foil, but it would spring right back into place. And it showed no signs of having been folded or crumpled like would be the case with aluminum foil. And it was cold. It was really cold, like, like if you put a piece of metal in a freezer for a couple hours and then took it out. It was, it was cold like that, but, but it wasn't frozen. There was no condensation or anything like that on it. It, it was bone dry. And, and that was it. We, we cleaned up the spot, signed non-disclosure agreements, and it was made very clear to us that we were never to talk to anyone about this. Nobody. Not friends, family. We weren't even supposed to talk about it again with the others who were there. We were supposed to pretend like it never happened. End of interview. Transporter. Please state your name and position, for the record. Uh, my name is and I'm with the United States How are you involved in the Roswell incident? I was a transporter. My job was to transport the disc from the Foster Ranch to the base. Please describe your experience. Uh, sure. Uh, do you mind if I smoke? Go right ahead. <clears throat> Okay, I was uh, sent to the Foster Ranch after the cleanup crew had finished removing the debris. How many transporters were there? Oh, several, several. I, I was driving a flatbed. Continue. Well, we arrived at the ranch and were stopped at a specific location on the road, but we could see what was happening on the ranch. What was happening? And there were a bunch of bulldozers and tractors with backhoes. They were all uncovering something out in the middle of that ranch. I mean, by the time I got there, they were at the tail end of uncovering the object. While I waited, a heavy lift operator was brought in. It hovered over the crater, and they attached something to the cable, and what it removed just boggled my mind. What was it? I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a flying saucer. That's what it was. Please describe it. It was saucer-shaped, thin, about 30 feet across. I was instructed to step away from my vehicle as they lowered it onto the flatbed, covered it up, and fastened it in. But while it was sitting on the bed of my truck, before they covered it up, I got a pretty good look at it. It was smooth as glass with a highly reflective surface, almost like a mirror. There were splotches in portions of it where the reflective coating had kind of shattered off from the explosion of the missile. The spots I saw underneath that shiny coating were solid black, like tar. Then, yeah, they, they covered it up and strapped it in. Did you see anything else? Well, I was so enthralled at what they were putting on my truck that I didn't really look around at the other transport vehicles until the saucer was all strapped in. I didn't see much of interest. Some, some of the other trucks had trailer covers, so I didn't see what had already been loaded in them. I did see them loading some debris in one, and 
well, I did see something strange go on. As I looked at one of the cargo-covered trucks, I saw them placing small... Well, it looked like a child's coffin. I saw them placing some of those into one of the cargo trucks. But I don't I don't know what was in them. I, I mean, I, I don't really know if they were coffins. That's just what I thought when I saw them. So, they were just so small. What did you do then? Well, I followed orders. I took the saucer to the base. I pulled it into one of the largest hangars on the base. I was told that my assignment was complete. I was thanked for a job well done and left the hangar. I was ordered never to speak of what I saw to anyone. And I followed that order until today. This is the first time I've talked about this. End of interview. Nurse. Start of interview. Please state your name and position at the time of the incident. My name is and I was a nurse for the U.S. on the base. Describe what you saw on the day of the incident. It started out as a normal day. I was treating an officer who burned his arm. Then all hell broke loose. The rear doors to the hospital opened and a parade of people came in. There were a lot of MPs stationed around certain sections of the hospital, not allowing anybody to pass. Something major was happening. I had my patient in an exam room near the back of the hospital, and the door to the room was slightly ajar, so I could see several soldiers wheeling in multiple gurneys with small coffin-like objects on them. It was then that the MPs entered our room and ordered my patient and me to move to a room toward the front of the hospital. I passed by a nearby exam room as an official was entering it. Between the time of him opening the door and closing it behind him, I caught a glimpse of something in that room. What did you see? At first I thought it was a child. It was such a small body and was very human-like. But the head, there was something about the head that was just off. It was too big. And the eyes, they were large and black. It was, it just, it just, it didn't look human. Some officer with red hair saw me pausing to look into the room and lost it on me. He was screaming at the top of his lungs for me to vacate the area and forget everything I saw. It was really scary. End of interview. Doctor. Start of interview. Do you remember the day in question? Oh, I'll never forget it. Chaos. Pure chaos. Please explain. I was a doctor on call that day. I, I knew something serious had happened due to the chaotic nature of it all. People running frantically, military police being posted at the entrance of every corridor, not allowing anyone to pass, officers barking orders left and right. It was a mess. Who approached you? A high-ranking official. His name was... I could tell he was frazzled by something. 
He asked me to come into one of the exam rooms and take a look at a body that they had found in the desert. I entered the room and I, well, I'll never forget what I saw. Please describe what you saw. A creature, a humanoid creature. It was lying on its back on an exam table. It had some form of clothing over its body, some type of jumpsuit. It was dark gray in color, unusual material, similar to the rough side of Velcro. The first thing I noticed was its hands, so long and slender, five fingers and one thumb, although the thumb was very finger-like as well, and it had no fingernails. Skin was very pale, very light shade of gray. The clothing it was wearing kept me from seeing its body, arms, legs, and feet well, but the outfit was form-fitting, and I could see that the arms and legs were extremely thin, as if there were barely any muscle mass surrounding its skeleton. Then I turned my focus to its head, as large and bulbous. It had a nose in the middle of its face, but it was diminutive. It was mostly small nostrils. Its mouth was nothing more than a slit curved into a slight frown. It had small, jagged, what I assume were ear holes on each side of its head, but possessed no outer ear whatsoever. And its eyes. Any possibility that this was a human being was eliminated by its eyes. They were large, oval, and solid black. My initial assumption was that the black of the creature's eye was some kind of shield or cover, similar to membrane, but much thicker and stiffer. What were your orders? <laughs> orders. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they were, orders. I was told sharply to perform an autopsy on the creature. I wasn't quite sure where to begin, but ultimately decided to begin with a stethoscope. With the creature still clothed, I placed the stethoscope on its stomach and various places on its chest. That's when I made the discovery that shocked everyone. It wasn't dead. It was alive. It seemed to be... hibernating. End of interview. Base Commander Start of Interview Name and position, please. My name is I was the base commander for the and this is where they brought everything initially. Can you be more specific? What is everything? One alien spacecraft or disk Six alien bodies, originally presumed dead, later determined to be in a form of hibernation. Tell me about the alien craft. It was a flying saucer, a disc-shaped object that was completely solid and smooth. No windows, no door, no nothing. It was shiny. You could see your reflection in it. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I can't tell you how they got the thing open, but they did. There was no visible entry area, and no cracks or marks or anything to indicate a door or an opening. It was something to do with the crazy metal coating. When the door was shut, it would congeal together, like a drop of water absorbing another drop. 
<laughs> the technology was so far advanced beyond anything we had ever seen. Describe the interior of the craft. Uh, smooth, gunmetal gray, all in one piece. No individual seats or tables, no cracks or crevices, just one solid piece. There were seats and such, don't get me wrong, but they were all molded as one continuous piece. They weren't attached to the floor, they were part of the floor. There were six seats that encircled the center. There were, there were no steering wheels, no handles or bars, levers, nothing like that. There were flat panels in front of each seat, but they were smooth. There was nothing inside that gave me any indication as to how these vehicles were operated. Do you have any idea why it was buried in the ground? None, none. We contracted some archaeologists to examine the ground the craft was buried in. They determined that it was under the ground for at least 2,000 years. But as to why, I, I have no idea. Tell us about the aliens. Oh, odd little humanoid creatures. Not human. Not, not of this earth. Uh, that we know of. Uh, I wasn't part of the examination. I just looked at them and listened to the reports. We were all in shock, and honestly, uh, a little frightened by the fact that they were alive and in some kind of hibernated state. Where are the disk and its inhabitants now? Oh, I, d I don't know. I don't know. I took orders from the Commander-in-Chief to release all collected evidence in relation to this incident to a top-secret department. And I did so. A fleet of vehicles showed up. I was approached by two men in black suits. One had a black hat and dark sunglasses on. These were those men in black characters that people have heard about. This was them. I handed over everything to them as instructed. Where did they go? I don't know specifically, but they took all the recovered material and alien bodies through the underground tunnels to another base. I have no idea where they went from there. Underground tunnels? Yes, several military bases have massive underground tunnels that lead to other nearby bases. That way we can move top secret items to and fro without worrying about any eyes being on them. <laughs> there are tunnels running all over underneath the country. There are some people who never travel above ground. Let me tell you something. The amount of things out there that the majority of people have no idea about would blow minds. End of interview. Men in black. Start of interview. Please state your name and your position. My name is... I'm a top operative of the United States Department of and specifically I'm the head of the project referred to as Project What did you do with the evidence gathered in Roswell? We took it to our facility. We find that it's best to keep everything under one roof, so to say. Anything presumed to be extraterrestrial in origin is exclusive to our department. Other departments know nothing other than what's out of our control. Roswell is a prime example of that. Many people came in contact with the craft, the bodies, the debris, 
but none of them know more than what they encountered. Would we prefer that they didn't know as much as they do? Absolutely. But that's out of our control. What is in our control is making sure we do not divulge any more information than what is absolutely necessary. This tactic has kept the majority of the planet's population in the dark. This way we know exactly who knows what. Is this the most significant evidence of alien technology you have encountered? Yes, it was the only fully intact flying disc and living alien beings we have ever had in our facility. But you have had other artifacts? We have recovered a partial craft and fossilized dead aliens. They appear to have crashed tens of thousands of years ago, but were preserved in a tar pit. We also recovered a fully intact shell of a flying disc. Shell? The strange smooth metal that covers the flying disc. The shell was found at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. After exhaustive examination, we have determined that the element that makes up this shell is not of this world. The shell seems to be more than a protective shield. Apparently it can be shed if damaged and a new one is generated. It can also be used as a defense mechanism. If a hostile situation occurs, the shell can be shed and will glide in another direction as a distraction. It's not unlike when a salamander sheds its tail and the discarded tail wiggles to distract predators. How do you know all of this? The alien told us. The hibernating aliens are awake? Yes, and I have been in direct communication with one of them. One of them has communicated with you? Unquestionably. How? It communicates telepathically. Somehow it understands what I want to know, without me having to utter a word. If it chooses to provide an answer, it inserts it into my mind. Inserts what into your mind? The answer to my question. It is suddenly within my mind as knowledge. I don't understand. I wouldn't expect you to, and I wish I could convey it to you more clearly. Did the alien communicate with you as to how they wound up buried in the earth? Yes, it was thousands of years ago when their craft suffered a catastrophic failure, leaving them stranded on a primitive planet. They chose to hibernate until their kind rescued them. Why such a long hibernation? That was my question as well. First of all, what our interpretation of a long time is does not conform to their interpretation of such. Even so, I don't think they intended to hibernate for that extended a period of time. The answer was placed in my mind, but it was difficult for me to fully decipher. From what I could understand, I think they... overslept. <laughs> what do they want? Why are they here? They have been here since the dawn of man, curious to witness the development of an extremely primitive species. They consider us to be primitive? Extremely, which is one of the reasons they hold concern. 
Concern. Please elaborate. In the late 1940s, there was an incredible influx of flying saucer sightings. Some refer to it as a flying saucer craze. It is not a coincidence that the sightings became so prevalent after the detonation of atomic bombs. The human species on Earth is in its infancy. These alien beings view us like we would view the Neanderthal man. So think to yourself, if cavemen had access to nuclear weapons and could detonate them with the push of a button, wouldn't you be concerned? Yes, I would. We aren't currently near a stage as to where we could be a threat to anything outside of our own planet. But if we reached that kind of breakthrough while still holding what they would consider primitive mentality, they would likely step in before tragedy could occur. Step in. Eradicate the human species from this planet. We're far from possessing that kind of technology, so that's more of a long-term threat that is being monitored. And in the short run, is eradication of our species conceivable? It is. It's possible they may allow us to destroy ourselves. But I also got the impression that with the abundance of other life forms on Earth, they may step in on their behalf. Are the aliens still being kept at your facility? No. They have departed, but they did not leave without a warning. Please elaborate. While their motivation is primarily curiosity, there are other species of aliens who have been observing our planet with far more nefarious intentions. What intentions would those be? to conquer us and inhabit the planet for themselves in some capacity, or to mine our planet for resources. Do we have more information on those species? Not thoroughly, but we have enough photographic and video evidence to conclude that every extraterrestrial life form we have encountered could overtake us with ease if they chose to do so. Most people go about their lives completely oblivious to the fact that we are living in the most dangerous of times. End of interview. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. (laughs) Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey, everyone. If you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work, and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. 
Thank you so much.